Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. Hello, you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you had a great week and are all set for the week ahead. I hope you're safe and sound as you tune into our episode this week, whether you're listening on FM or indeed on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts. On tonight's show, we are going to find out about social prescribing and we are also going to look at decorating our homes with the environment in mind. We're going to find out all about eco paints and all that sort of stuff. So stay tuned. First things first, though, a couple of weeks back, I spoke with GP Dr. Sean Owens, who's a member of Irish Doctors for the Environment. And he was chatting with me about how we might go about greening the health service. And he mentioned this term social prescribing a couple of times. And I thought, We have to delve into that a little bit more. And I know this is a subject matter that journalist and content creator Yvonne Redden is particularly passionate about. So I thought we'd better get Yvonne on and we'll um, have a chat and figure out what exactly is social prescribing. Yvonne, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thank you for having me, Ashley. It's great to be here. I love the name. So Yvonne, tell me, what is social prescribing in a nutshell? Well, I'm not going to give you the exact term. What I think it is and how I came across it, I'll explain that maybe. Um, for me, I think about three years ago, I started my content writing business in the pandemic, just at the beginning 2020. And I remember my friend, she's a nurse and she was working really hard in the HSE and whatever. And this is where the term came up for me, the social prescribing. She was explaining to me, she was doing a project on it all and she was explaining it to me and I was giving her a hand, helping her with our project getting the wording right. And it just kind of really hit a nerve with me. It hit hit something in me anyway that really triggered me to want to talk about it more. Mm -hmm. And before the pandemic hit, Ashleen, I had just finished my NCI postgrad to teach and I was teaching in a local community centre some creative writing classes. And to me, that was kind of like, and I got in touch with a social prescribing coordinator in Southside Partnership. I had linked in with her on LinkedIn. Really interested in the whole way that they combine holistic, maybe holistic uh, medication, if that's a word, instead of actual medication without the, you know, the tablet form. So she was telling me that she wanted to, get this social prescribing initiative into communities where they go to the doctor and instead of the doctor, doctors have to be trained in this social Mm -hmm. prescribing area. um, And instead of them prescribing the usual antidepressants and whatever, um, to maybe direct them to the local community centres where they can go in there, talk to the community, you know, the community coordinator and see what courses are available there's usually stuff there for everybody in the community centres. You know, there's knitting, there's crocheting, there's loads of different things, writing courses. And it's all about the social side of it, going in and chatting to people at the courses, at the workshops, uh, instead of getting tablets and going home and you're still on your own. So the social thing is the big thing about social prescribing. And I know. Um, now, it's about a year ago now, I think. But doctors in Scotland were given the go ahead to prescribe walks in forests yeah. as a treatment for depression. Um, and it got a lot of news headlines. And. This idea, it's kind of been bobbing around the place a little bit the past couple of years. So in a nutshell, 
if I were feeling really down and just not myself, I'd go to my GP and I'd look for help and advice. And if they felt, you know, medication wasn't appropriate, they might say, well, you know what, Ashling? what might be better for you is to go to the local women's shed of a Friday morning. And yeah. did you know it's in Tullamore at such and such a time? Or maybe Ashling, you know, um, you're very artistic. So maybe go to the library and see that they've added classes. So it's this idea of, yeah. I suppose, integrating medicine with what's already happening in the community. Yeah, I suppose the GPs would have to be trained up yeah. a little bit about the social because it's not really up to them to say all you need is some some art or some writing or whatever. So there really is that it's still not really everywhere. It's it, it is there in some communities. It is, it is here in my community, but there's still a lot of work to be done because there is training involved with the GPs that they actually send them more to the community centres, not to the local libraries. It would be more, that's the nucleus and then it would be up to them where they think they should be or whether there's classes they're appropriate to what they, the the person needs or wants. So there's, there, there's a little bit more to it than that. So there is a social prescribing coordinator in Dolira down in Southside Partnership. So I'm sure there's one maybe in your area. So you'd have to really look up that area first because I'm sure that be careful Mm. there would need there would need to be somebody who who like you say coordinates all of this liaison officer kind of thing in between the both people exactly because like the GPs are at the pin of their collar as it is anyway and like um and like you say they need training but even just even if you pause the training for a moment, like even just to know what's going on in the area, that's a job in itself, you know. So, yeah. so to have somebody in the community who is that that is their role, that is their job to to be an expert in what the activities are in the locality. And yeah. what are the benefits of this? Like, what's the point of it all? Now, listen, I'm not a, a specialist or an expert or anything, but. You know, I think if, if from my perspective, if something like if I had heard something like this years ago, when before I had started working and, and doing all my writing stuff, I think I would have it would have helped me an awful lot. Um, so I, I mean, it's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to go out and socialize and meet new friends. But, you know, it really the pandemic made that so important to people. I think they've changed their attitudes that it is necessary to get out there and socialize. That was the big social connection that we all miss so much. So I think there needs to be like some kind of social prescribing coordinator in the GPs, Mm. you know, so that they're there on hand. So the GPs would be able to know who would be suitable to go to talk to them and then who wouldn't. Now, obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm a writer, I'm a journalist. So that's probably what needs to be done next. I don't really know whether that's been done already. It could be something you could look into more Mm -hmm. with an actual social prescribing coordinator. There's a lovely lady that does it. Um, I can link you up with her. So I think, I mean, it was something that I was very passionate about in 2020. And I I sent in an email to Ryan Tuberty to get on the radio. And it really hit a nerve for him too. He was like, what is this social prescribing? And I expect you said what is it and I was trying to explain how it works and I was doing creative writing classes to help people in that way but writing isn't for everyone there's other things want to do you know even the sea swimming forest bathing is huge you know since the pandemic who would have thought you go to the forest to bathe you know without even going into water you know and I know sea swimming saved me in the pandemic Ashleen it really did I had three kids at home 
and not able to go anywhere, the 5K restrictions, all that really. But I could get to the beach and that that's what kind of kept me sane, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like in Tullamore, where I am, there's woods within. Yeah. Within my, there was within the two kilometer even there. There's woods near me. And um, just even to get out with the dog and, yeah. you know, just to get. And it's funny because an awful other time when I went out with the dog to the woods or the forest, um, we don't really have forests in Ireland, but I like to think of them as forests. Um, yeah. But, you know, it. <laughs> You might not meet somebody else even, but it was just the act of getting Nature. out into the fresh air and getting away from the computer screen. And, you know, just even just getting that bit of exercise in. Mm. Is there, Yvonne, um, a difficulty, I th- like men of a certain age, mm. I think are very aware of the different type of retirement activities that they might be able to avail of or they might get involved in the local men's shed or um, different areas like that. Is there a difficulty in encouraging women to to take part in these kind of activities? Because I see it with my own friends who, who have kids and it's always about putting everybody else first. And they're, yeah. they're not, and this is not criticizing any of my friends, um, but we're not very good as Irish women, I think, about self-care. Um, we're very good about minding everybody else, but we're not partic- We're getting better, but we're not particularly good at actually accepting that we need to do something for ourselves. And this is for our own well-being overall. Is there is there any? Um, have you noticed any difference gender-wise? Just out of like, no, I don't think so. I think the women would be easier. I think the women would be more more inclined to do it more. I think what stops people and what you said there about your friends is, I mean, my children come everywhere with me. I don't have childcare. It's that support, that lack of that. So you've got to think of something that you can do that that the kids can come with you. You know, I try and bring them everywhere I go, travelling around Ireland. They can't come to all events, but any events I can bring them to, I will. So th- there's that kind of restriction, I think, with a lot of parents. Mm. Um, I don't know about a singular, what the restrictions it would be, but I think the men's sheds are... are really skyrocketing could there be a social prescribing shed maybe mm-hmm. you know that could be something interesting that that's the two why do they have to be men and women separate why can't they bring them together i don't you know yeah really, yeah that know? Th- yeah and and like it's um that's a very good point they are mm-hmm. very gendered at the yeah. moment um but they are like i know people who go to their local men's shed or the local women's shed and really make really good friendships and maybe go because the GPs recommended it to begin with for, I should go for a morning a week, go for a Friday, see how you get on. And then all of a sudden they're there every day because they love it so much. And and I remember speaking to, I did a project last year with a men's shed, with a particular men's shed. And I remember one man just spoke to me about like, he said, my wife died just before the pandemic. And I was so lonely. We had been together since we were teenagers and He goes, and then like my my doctor said, like my daughter convinced me to go to the doctor. The doctor said, come here, join the local men's shed. Brilliant. And he was like, it's changed my life. And, you know, it's a, there are, now look, mental health, crises are very serious and, need to be taken and it's seriously. very different that, that you, medica- yeah. you need medication for certain things that's what I mean I am not a doctor yeah. but there but, is a holistic version yeah. of medicating yeah and like it's it's about that like the metal that Ireland is famous for the community mm. about yeah. 
about getting back to that, really, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I do. I, I definitely think so. But I think they do need to be combined. And I don't think necessarily men shed people going there is from the GMP, GPs. And it probably is. It's probably f- from word of mouth more. You know, their friend is up there. Oh, come on up with me. You know, and I think they just need that nudge more than women do. Women are much more social, generally. Maybe not. I'd have to look into that. You Maybe we'll have to use our journalism skills for that, Ashleen. But they're probably better at chatting than men are. But look, it's getting better. You know, I think I mean, it's funny you say about retiring. I just had an article out this week about retirement and the age. The pe- why do people have to retire at 65, 66? Yeah, know, it's yeah. not a legal law. So it's it's more company policies than anything. And people are only beginning nearly in their 60s to start the careers they want because they've been in, in, a, in a profession all their lives. So now they're kind of going and doing all the things they want to do. It's a real another lease of life. That wouldn't yeah. have been that wouldn't have been possible. My mother's generation would never have even thought of having another career in their 60s. No, it just wasn't the thing. It is now. It's, it's, yeah, life it is, is changing yeah. in Ireland. It's great. And it's about maybe investigating these other avenues that are available yeah. to us and yeah. and just being a bit more open minded, maybe. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, invest in yourself. It's time like the self-care, which you mentioned. Now's the time when you're in your 60s, you've got time to do it unless you haven't got grandchildren. But like it is difficult to invest in yourself and social care when you're running a career and your children and your collections, all that kind of thing. And even if you don't have children, you can be so, so busy as well. Anyway, how do you fit it all in? But you have to. I saw a meme on Instagram the other day and it really made me laugh out loud. It was um, a single woman doing the what if we talked to uh, parents with children the way we talk to single people about, you know, it is really hard keeping up the career and paying the bills and the the social engagements. Like it's hard work keeping the connections of friends all together, particularly if, if you're the one single person in the group that yeah. you're trying to keep everybody else on the ball all the time. It is exhausting. So mm. we do need to and maybe find and even if social prescribing maybe if you think the idea and you're rolling the eyes as you're listening to us having the chat here on on the radio but you know finding something that works for you that benefits your overall well-being and even like the you know fe colleges are great you don't even have to do something in your local community you can go to another community you know and all the ddletbs there's, there's there's training going on everywhere and you don't have to do it in person you can go on zoom and put your camera off if you don't want to be on on visually there you know it's like there is i mean i did so much training in in during the pandemic i retrained myself Ashley, because everything was free everyone was there mm-hmm. available it was just incredible and a lot of people did i think that was the the one big huge benefit of the pandemic you know a positive though obviously there was lots of negatives but it did change everything i mean even zoom you know i couldn't live without zoom you couldn't talk to people even today you're in a different county than me and we're able to talk you couldn't talk to international people you know it, it did open up our world a bit bigger you know made it a little bit bigger as well so there's a lot of positives so if you like what myself and Yvonne are talking about, do a bit of Googling, find out if there's a social prescribing coordinator in your area. But if you're stuck, your GP office might be the starting point. They might be able to direct you that or your local community centre. Yeah, I think so. Yvonne Redden, journalist and content creator. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Go Green. Thank you, Ashleen. I'll be back after the break. 
Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And Ireland has a new national park. Now, you may have heard the announcement on Friday, I think it was, or in the last couple of days anyway, that up in County Meath, the government has decided that we need a new national park. But what exactly does that even mean? So to discuss this in a little bit more detail, I'm joined now by Caroline O'Doherty, who is the environmental correspondent for the Irish Independent. Caroline, you are very welcome back to the programme. Thanks, Ashley. So, Caroline, tell us about this new national park. Am I right in thinking it's our seventh national park? That's right. Number seven, uh, the first in the northeast, the second in Leinster. Uh, there's the Wicklow Mountains National Park is there, but they tend to be congregated sort of around the, the west coast. Um, so, yeah, it's we don't have a proper name for it yet. It's sort of provisionally called the Boyne Valley National Park or Bruna Boyne perhaps National Park. Uh, that is all to be worked out. But it's 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 smallish. It's fine. 50 acres. Um, it's a lovely spot. Uh, you know, right off, you'd have to just say, yes, it's this is this is lovely. And this is a, you know, a gift to the people really. Well, we've paid for it, so it's not a gift to us. But it's um, if I can, you know, lay the groundwork for you, it's rolling countryside. So it's small little hills. It's a lot of it's in grassland because and we'll come back to this, but it is actually in farming. Mm. A lot of it. Um, it's bordered by the River Boyne. It has fantastic mature trees, broadleaf, native species, huge trees, hundreds of years old, loads of mature hedgerows, little uh, little pathways. Um, it has um from a, a sort of a buildings um, heritage perspective, it has this fantastic uh, uh, house, uh, manor house, uh, a country house. It would have been a country residence dating back to 1760 uh, called Douth Hall. Um, and it's still in really good condition. It does need restoration work, but like it's structurally sound and a lot of the main features are there because it was lived in up till uh, up till about 2013, uh, 2011, I think, perhaps. Um, it also has a Victorian manor, which is a really, you know, it's, it's a lovely, lovely kind of country sprawl again. Um, lots of kind of turrets and features. It has walled gardens. It has lots of stables. It has several lodges. It has bridges. It, you know, it's it's a really lovely place it also has it has archaeological finds going back five and a half thousand years a megalithic tomb you are really selling it here caroline it sounds fantastic it is in a particularly as you say historic part of the country like you know it's near it's um it's in the new grange part of the country you know so we would have gone there in that general vicinity from the midlands on school tours i remember doing it myself back in the day but it's, as you mentioned there, before we go into the historical part of it, it's also working farm. Is that unusual for a national park? You know, we do have we do have grazing in our other national parks. Um, we have sheep particularly. Um, so it's not absolutely unusual. This is a kind of a research farm. So for the last, it, you know, it would have been in farming for many years. And then for the last 10 years, it's been owned by an animal nutrition company. Um, and they, they kind of 
use the grounds um, and the land for research purposes in conjunction with the likes of University College Dublin and other third level institutions looking at at sort of sustainable farming, you know, from from a business point of view, looking at the most efficient kinds of farming, but from a way forward point of view, looking at, you know, how do we bring these teachings that we're hearing, we're going to have to adopt um, and see how they work out. So things like, and if there's farmers among your listeners, mixed sward uh, grazing and things like that. So they've been doing a lot of work on that. And the idea is that the state wants to continue that particularly because the universities have been involved. So they really do want to maintain that 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 aspect of it. So that all has to be worked out because, yes, there were cattle who greeted us on Friday morning as we kind of made our way, meandered up the, up the path. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I'm told it is a fairly rich habitats, uh, selection of habitats, even as it is. It has been sort of well kept because it wasn't intensively farmed over all the years. So we, there is quite a, a lot of um, wildlife there. But, you know, it, it isn't wilderness. You know, it's not it's not as nature intended, but then none of our national parks are, you know, they've all come back into public ownership after a lot of uh, meddling by a human hand. So um, it's lovely. Um, It could be even it could be it could be lovelier. Um, So they're going to draw up a master plan over the next because they reckon it'll take about two years to put all that together. And that's a master plan with everything like how do we restore the buildings? What used to be put them to? Where do we put paths? You know, how do we deal with traffic? Do we have park and ride or shuttle buses? coming because you're right this area is quite intensively visited already because of Newgrange and Bruna Boynia um the um Battle of the Boyne sites um and and you know that in fact the whole area that this this new park is within is already designated a UNESCO World Heritage site and it's quite interesting like even with the purchase of this this 550 acres the state will still only own about 26-27% of the lands that are within that whole area so there's a lot still in private ownership. So even with the ones that we're more familiar with, the Battle of the Boyne site and the New Grange and, and so on, um, and even with this, there's still a lot of the land is actually in private ownership. So, but it's still, you know, the, even the private owners have kind of, you know, accommodated the the tourists and the the tour the tour buses. But in this particular one, they're going to have to work out transport, particularly because even the the even the the small invitation list on Friday morning made quite a dent on the roads in terms of us, you know, traipsing up to 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 see it because there's no public transport, obviously, to a 1760 um country residence. No, well, we don't do a good job of public transport in general, so I doubt that particular house would have a bus route to it. Um, Caroline, okay, this has not been gifted to the state. We've bought it. It's been a large investment, but it's going to take an awful lot more to to get this up and running and to manage it long term, isn't it? It is. It cost about 11 million to buy it. So that's not small, but, you know, I suppose given the state budgets for large infrastructure works, it, it, I suppose it is quite modest in, in comparison with that. But yes, the works to bring it up to a, a, a level and a condition where people can start visiting it and know what they're visiting. So in other words, you have to interpret it for people. Mm-hmm. They reckon maybe within in the two years, it's possible there might be some limited public access, whether that'll be just to the open grounds, you know, which would be marvellous for the, the local area, just just space, I suppose, space to walk and, and enjoy the trees and the hedgerows and the riverbank whatever's there would be lovely. Um, anything more intense than that? Oh, I can I can't even imagine. They couldn't even or wouldn't <laughs> give us a price tag, but it will be a lot of money. Um, and you know, and money for um nature and money for biodiversity protection and money for our, our national parks has been conspicuously absent um mm. for a long time. Um, you know, and there were some questions like why are we taking on a seventh national park when there were very clear 
accepted uh, weaknesses in our management plans and, our, and how we implement them in the other national parks. Um, so it's accepted. It's a challenge. Um, they didn't really go looking for this. Um, they were aware of it because of the university links with this land. Um, but when it, they had an eye on it, if you like, when it first came up for sale and the say Devonish Nutrition bought it, um, so they were keeping an eye on it. And when it came up to their surprise, it came up for sale again this year. Um, apparently, they just decided, let's let's go for it. Let's not let this be lost because, you know, land is under pressure for all sorts of things, for development and for, you know, for renewable energy, for um, particularly actually in County Meath. You know, there's a lot of solar farms on the way. So um, it's important to balance that out with land that, you know, we can be pretty sure because it's a national park, there won't be too much development on it. Uh, at least that's that's certainly the, the protections that are afforded, something that's actually named and designated a national park. It's, it's a big ask. And like we even see like in other areas around the management of land that's in public ownership, like even basic levels. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke to a gentleman who has organised his fellow mountain bikers to collect litter when they're out you know, training for races and that in, in the Shreve Blooms. Like, like, it's great that we have it now and it's brilliant. Like the land now is in government ownership or is in state ownership. We now own it as citizens. But yeah, I'm kind of cynical about, you know, how good a job we can do on this when we've not been so good at this historically. Yeah. Um, one thing that has happened in the last, couple of years um, is because of the acknowledgement of um, the under-resourcing of the National Parks and Wildlife Service, which is the service that runs our national parks and our, you know, our special areas of conservation and our nature uh, heritage sites and so on. Um, it's at the, and was a, you know, a fairly damning and very detailed report a consultant's report done and published in the last couple of years on it and one of the big things they shouted out was resources where are your people how do you manage parks like how with no people and people who had like dual roles you know for example you know when we think of Killarney National Park we think tourists American tourists on jaunting carts going up and down and spending their money you know that's one aspect of a national park it's not it's certainly not the overall aim of a national park it is about conservation and preservation. Um, and, you know, so much, just so they had to justify their existence almost, so much of the efforts, even in the National Parks and Wildlife Service, was actually dealing with the kind of the, the marketing end or the tourism end yeah. of, of the National Parks. And they've been crying out for, you know, help. You know, they can identify the areas that are that need attention, that need conservation plans put in place. They can identify what they're not able to do. And they've been shouting for a long time now. So we do have, and I don't know the exact figures, but we certainly have had a, um, a, 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 an ad actually went up in recent days for more conservation rangers. Um, but we certainly have had an increase in them in the last uh, year or two. And um, we're told there will be more. Um, now, even with those numbers being brought um, up to what's been uh, pledged, uh, it's still fairly slim pickings. Um, you could put any number of people out on the national parks and they will find more work to do, more conservation, mm. more more wildlife that needs help, more, you know, habitats, little even minor habitats, you know, because there's at least 14 sort of large habitats types, if you like, identified up in up in the new park. You know, there'll be little microhabitats within those and every one of them deserves to be kept and needs to be kept because we keep talking about like the two sides of the climate crisis, mm -hmm. climate crisis and biodiversity. If our lands and our nature can't help us, you know, trap uh, carbon, hold on to flood 
floods, you know, withstand winds, you know, protect us. If it's not healthy, you know, then everything goes, everything that the climate will throw at us, you know, gets worse. Well, and you would you would hope that for young people listening, that that means that there might be some very interesting jobs en route in the next decade, at least, if if we're doing a good job of this. Well, Caroline O'Doherty, thank you for updating us on our seventh national park. Let me know what you think about it, guys. Get in contact with me through midlands103.com. Caroline, we'll be sure to have you on again. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, and I hope you're enjoying our show so far this week. Well, something that we've not yet discussed on Let's Go Green has been decorating our homes. Now, as the weather and the seasons have changed, we're spending a bit more time indoors at home and maybe wrapping up on the sofa in the evening time. And that does tend to be when we notice things we feel need to be updated and changed. You know, when you're sitting there tired after a day's work on the sofa and you're going, God, that wall needs a lick of paint. Well, we can be more sustainable and environmentally friendly when it comes to decorating our homes. But it can be really intimidating and really overwhelming to know where to start. And you might have noticed over the over the year and a bit, year and a half, the show has been on the airwaves. I'm always asking for you, the listeners, to get in contact with me and to suggest items for the show. Well, Alina C did just that. Alina is an interiors expert and um, knows, well, all things interiors. Alina, you are very welcome to the show. Hello, Ashley. Thank Alina, you, so much. you are based in Port Leash in County Leash, is that right? Yes, I have a studio in Port Leash. Fantastic. Yeah, but I work uh, with clients all around the Ireland, so continuously traveling. So I have quite an experience of the uh, how people live in the big cities like Dublin, as well as in the rural parts of of Ireland. So there are different different type of lifestyles and different type of properties. So different type of problems we need to solve in properties. Okay. Mm-hmm. And environmentally friendly and sustainable decorating practices. Like mm-hmm. it's so hard to know where to start. And I suppose the obvious thing is that, you know, don't buy new furniture, go and um, get secondhand or thirdhand furniture in, in maybe charity shops or vintage shops. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, charity shop probably wouldn't be my first place to go um, because you never know the whole history of the furniture. And one of my clients actually had a problem that he bought an old sideboard and it looked fantastic. But later in the year, he actually discovered that there were woodworm. Oh, and yeah. that's something you definitely don't want to bring into your home. Mm-hmm. So, but there, are, I find there's. I love the uh, the modern industry of interior design because they are sustainable brands and they are sustainable products and there are many companies and even local shops that offer furniture selection using sustainable materials like reclaimed wood for example for a number of years now there is a selection of furniture we know it as an industrial style whereas like metallic legs for example and reclaimed wood for the tabletop 
absolutely everybody's favorite. Mm-hmm. It's got a kind of nice, warm, rustic feel in it. Or uh, now, for example, we have a, gotten, a, a, full, a full new flair of marble or glass, for example, that's also sustainable. Um, but there are some brands, but they specialize in ecological materials where they use or bamboo or seagrass. Um, and many of them come quite interesting from Spain, apparently. Okay. Um, yeah, and they bring it to Irish markets and you can find those materials or in a dining chairs or dining tables, uh, sideboards, TV units. So it's absolutely beautiful. But you know, quite quite interesting, when you see, for example, like laminated uh piece of furniture for a home it actually even smells different mm-hmm. so i find like as humans may, many people actually design their home following intuition and very often 90 percent intuition is right so if something smells a bit off glue or maybe adhesions in it there's something is not right so that's a really of, good tip so no, literally if it doesn't smell right yeah don't buy yeah. it Sometimes it looks wood and it touches, it feels like wood, but then you come a little bit closer, open the drawer or or a, a sideboard or something, and there is like a good whiff of air to you, and it feels very like you're in a chemical factory, stay away. There's something okay. definitely in the treatment or in the, the way they try to seal surfaces to make them more maybe stain resistant or anti-scratch resistant. So I would stay away from that because if you have animals or children, they would be especially sensitive to those um, components. Mm-hmm. Or um, even an asthmatic at home as well. They can, oh, I, know, yeah. I know myself, I'm particularly sensitive to, to things yeah. like that. I, I, and I mightn't know what it is, but I can mm. feel it in my chest. So yes. I suppose like if we're starting out, say we have, we decide now we want to give the house a bit of a freshen up leading into, and I'm not going to say it because it's too too early in the year, but leading into C. <laughs> When, when we tend to spend time with our families. Um, like yeah. if we started off with the paint, because I think paint is a really tough one. And I think people are very aware, like it's clearly a chemical that we're, we're putting on the walls, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And and even like, even knowing how to dispose of paint cans, we get there in a second. Yes. So yeah. are there environmentally friendly paints? Are there paints that are, if they're not good for the environment, that are less bad even? Yeah. Well, oh, where do I start? <laughs> paint is a specific topic. Well, first of all, as, you, as you're choosing the paint, you have to understand um, there's interior paints, there's a paint for the wood, and there's exterior paints and special purpose paints. So there are four big groups. So mm-hmm. if you're just going to repaint and freshen up the room, don't make simple things hard. Mm-hmm. Water-based. Go for water-based. Luckily, uh, the the new regulations pushes all the factories and manufacturers to comply and to provide um, eco products and um, environmentally friendly products to use less toxic ingredients. And uh, one of the parameters to look is called VOC VOC, uh, which is a uh, uh, volatile, volatile um, organic compounds. Mm-hmm. So obviously, some factories trying to meet the required minimum. And it's usually 250 grams per liter. That's what you're supposed to read on a tin. So that's actually very important because that's what about, that's um, kind of toxic elements in it. 
um, more chemicals in it, let's say, as a components in it. Well, most of kind of that really high you would see in oil-based paints. And uh, oil-based is obviously for wood more often, something that you need to heavily seal. Um, but now there are fantastic materials like products uh, from even the looks of Fleetwood, for example, where you can seal the wood and treat the wood um, painted with the water-based. The, the quality is actually fantastic. Not to say it's um, there's no smells in it um, and dry super fast, so you can actually repaint even wood so fast. And I actually want to give a compliment to Fleetwood. I don't know if it's allowed to say brands. I was repainting my seating room and I absolutely loved the smell of the paint for the first time. And okay. it actually says how clean paint it is in the, the production of it. Uh, and I know that as a brand, they're very focused to produce like a zero walk or at least as, as low as possible. So if you will be looking for, it doesn't have to be Fleetwood, but if you generally, if you're looking for zero walk, like reduced uh, chemicals, absolutely natural ingredients, the, the, um, Minimum required will be then 50 grams of that bulk compounds, 50 grams per liter or even less. So that calls coming and to I, zero. And it's great to hear that, that, that there are options out there. Like I discovered during the pandemic, I discovered a local paint company in County Offaly, Acres Hall. Yeah. So oh, I've yeah. used that in my home. And now, yeah. like, and I, as I said, I'm very sensitive to fumes mm, and, mm. and I had no issues. Like, okay, I love the color, first of all, but and the texture, yeah. the quality of it, but there was no smell. So, like yes. make, it's a thing about finding maybe like the buying the tester pots is so important mm -hmm. because you can yeah. test out whether or not you can tolerate the fumes from the paint and whether or not you can actually manage to stay at home while this work is being done or whether or not you need to get yeah. out for a few days. But also, obviously, the color, then you need to test that out mm. as well. So yeah. when it comes then to you've got the paint job done. Getting Before you move on, Ashley, okay. from paints, I, I have a, a message to public. <laughs> um, very often when it comes to painting bathrooms, for example, okay. people try to buy paint of something antifungal, antibacteria. Well, those paints are no eco. At least I think I know there's one company in Germany, there's a brand, um, I think calls uh, Form of Free or... Um, got in it um bio biofar or something biofam or something like this there's two they both german companies they would uh, provide like um good treatment and uh, for the bathroom spaces but in general on irish market anywhere you go if you see bathroom paint with antifungus or anything it will be toxic paint which is not recommended if you have asthma or respiratory uh, effects in your health okay um, I would recommend if it happens, you have a mold in your bathrooms, buy eco-friendly products for cleaning, removing it, ventilate mm -hmm. the room really well, and then buy normal paint and paint it. Because once the, you put a pay, apply on the surface, not many, many people know that the dry touch paint treats within, I think, 24 hours, right? But actually, full period of treatment of the uh, paint with the surface lasts 30 days. Yeah. Okay. So mm. all those active fumes which will operate for the for the from the paint from the of the surface, you actually will be smelling it for the next month. Yeah. Okay. Just be aware of that. 
Like in the seat room, you can ventilate and fine, but in the bathroom, it's quite enclosed space where you close the windows and the doors when you take a shower. You actually will be smelling it, so you have to be aware of that. And it is, and regardless of what kind of painting you're doing or decorating, ventilation is key. It is like even just in a safety, um, you have to have the windows and and doors open. Talk to me, though, about getting rid of cans of paint. Um, Like they have to go to the specific spot at the local recycling centre. It's a big problem, isn't it, for the industry? Yeah, yeah, like if you work in commercial, it's um you can't put them in a skip. A recycle company wouldn't take them away. Uh, there needs to be private arrangement with uh, a, a dump ground where you go and recycle properly. Yeah, it's it, it is a problem to be honest. Um, if you are private, um, there are councils. County Council, sometimes they do the program when they collect the empty tins. But again, I think they empty the quantity. I'm sorry, there's no easy answer. Yeah, there isn't really. But <laughs> it is... Just buy it, paint you really love so you don't need to repaint too often. Buy yeah. the right quantity so you're not uh, storing too much of the same paint. The period life, life uh, period of the tin paint, one has been open up to... Five years of the good brands, cheap brands, I think two, three years. Okay. okay. So, yeah. So, so, and like get advice on it as well. Like if you're not sure, you go into any of these shops, if you're doing the work yourself mm-hmm. and you can say, okay, my room is eight by 10. How much paint yeah. do I need? You know, and like get yeah. advice and try. And like you say, buy what you need. And then if you need to go out mm-hmm. go back and buy more, fine. But at least then you're yeah. not worrying about disposing it. Um, but I do know at the County Council uh, depots for recycling yeah. and landfill, they do have mm-hmm. a specific section for cans of paint when you go in you can ask them where it is Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. really important that you don't put cans of paint in your household rubbish because that's really bad yeah because it goes in the soil ground and then potentially in the water Mm -hmm. yeah we don't want that no we do not we definitely do not want that (laughs) Alina so okay so we're looking out for um more more sustainable brands okay so brands Mm -hmm. are very good about telling us that they're green because it's 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 trendy um mm-hmm. and we're looking at um paints with uh, low vocs what else should we be keeping an eye out for alina well i think one of the most sustainable actions is rather than buying something fast spontaneous and cheap because you've been in the shop and you saw it be more thought out in your decisions make a plan what you really need so when you buy you know that piece of furniture for example or a rug or coffee table will really last you you will love that mm-hmm. and then you can change interiors around those pieces of furniture um, invest in a good quality it will pay off first of all in a good material material well harvest material so there's a lot of furniture being made from bamboo, mango trees, which is doesn't need any pesticides or anything in like in the way they grow on the, the way they, they manufacture them. So they're very clean. Um, um, yeah, and prefer probably organic natural materials. Like it's easy to shop now, to be fair. Even if you look, don't go too far. Go look at IKEA, for example. They're fantastic. They're amazing ex- example. Uh, all the uh, furniture they make would be um, easy to integrate in, in interiors. They could be easy, be modular, combined with any other piece of furniture. Would be just wood. There's not much of 
uh, plastic or glue. So they, they actually bring jute rugs, wool rugs, um, wood, wooden furniture was their forever favorite, yeah. everybody's favorite. Um, like linen too. cottons in the curtains or whatever. So there's so little bit of synthetics. And it's all easy kind of natural materials, which is fantastic, you know. And there um, are companies nowadays that will stock materials that are maybe factory seconds or like you can yeah. get, if you do your research, you can get high-end mm. products, but maybe discounted or or at a more reasonable rate as well. Yeah, like you can be a little bit of creative. You can t- buy uh, something basic and then again, buy paint, buy new hardware for the same like sideboard and you can do something super elite looking high end, as you said. Um, you can, <clears throat> again, for the standard basic uh, basic sideboard, again, you can just paint it. But for the tabletop, buy glass or buy um, even stone. If you go to the, uh, like even British Stoneyard, it would be fantastic. They have some slab, unused slabs or cut out slabs. So you can buy like an, an amazing, beautiful piece and it will look so luxury and expensive, which you pay so little for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, when it comes to home decorating, ask, pay attention to what's under your feet. So I would prefer to have or jute rugs or wool rugs or wool carpets over synthetic carpets mm-hmm. again they're like yourself you probably know really well because there's so much dust collection sometimes so low pile would be essential and all natural materials rugs would be low pile because otherwise there's there's no 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 fiber in this is a fluffy fiber um it would be all flat so it's very easy to clean very easy to maintain um Fantastic for people who has any allergies or asthma, any other problems. You know, if you have pets, fantastic. Actually, wool rugs and carpets, they're naturally antibacterial and antifungal. So you don't need any extra treatment. So if you have like a seasonal, the temperature is changing, could be cold, could be hot. Sometimes if it's high moisture, like in the winter, if your room is cold and you're breathing, that's actually builds up in the soft, in your curtains. And sometimes you feel a little bit kind of, I can't say moisture, it's not moisture, but you know, a little bit kind of soft dampness. So carpets collect most of it. So after the cold winter coming to spring, you might see that your carpets feel a little bit more flat. That's because of how you great spend time in your room. <laughs> if you have the drop of temperature from cold to warm mm. all the time, if you are not in a rated house, which is majority of us are not, no, that's not. actually a possibility, yeah. you know, when you go from cold to warm. So natural or carpets don't have that. And they'll fight with all the problems, health problems you potentially could have kind of treats, treats it for you. Okay. Well, Alina C, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Listeners, get in contact with me. Do you want us to delve more into interior matters and doing things in a more environmentally friendly way? Because it is Mm. a huge topic. So it'd be great if you're interested. I'm sure Alina Mm. might be able to find more time for us in her busy schedule. There's so much to it. Yeah. Well, Um, Alina, thank you so much for your time. If people liked what you said or want to find out more about what you do, how do they get in contact with you? Yeah, my website, Alina C Design with Alina with an E. So A-L-E-N-A-C Design. 
dot yes. com is it dot com yes i'm on instagram facebook um even a little bit of tiktok like oh, a wow. younger okay. generation yeah well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And thank you for getting in contact with me and thank putting you so yourself much, forward. If you would also like to put yourself forward to be a guest on Let's Go Green, please drop me an email. So getting hop over to midlands103.com, click on the on-air team. You'll see my face there. Click on my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and you can send me an email directly. I'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You are listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the show. Now, I'm going to have a rant for a moment, just a, just a mini rant now, OK? Bear with me. Um, when I was in primary school, the local guard station in Tullamore had a scheme with my primary school where they came out to teach us the rules of the road and how to ride a bicycle. And if you've listened to the show before, you've known my career on bicycles ended. Um, well, not well. Let's just put it that way. But I was driving through Tullamore the other day and got an awful shock as I came up to a pedestrian crossing. I was looking around. I couldn't see anybody at the pedestrian crossing until I realised right before I hit the pedestrian crossing that there was two young girls, early teens, very slim young ladies, dressed all in black, standing behind a black um, lamppost. And it just struck me that I'm not sure if we're teaching young people the rules of the road anymore. I hope we are. I've no idea. I don't have kids in school. But, you know, if you're listening to this, it's not the first time, and even in, the, in three days, I saw near misses of young teenagers in particular, pre-teen kind of age group, of them nearly getting hit by a car. Um, and it's just, it seems to be an issue, even though we're in town centres and we're not supposed to be driving very quickly. If, if, you know, motorists do, we all make mistakes. So please do, if there's young people in your life, go out with them and teach them how to cross the road safely because Unfortunately, we seem not to be doing a great job of it in my driving experience recently. It does seem to be getting worse. It's something that people have commented on to me. So please do, you know, just show them how to do it. They're they're not psychic. They're not going to pick it up off the ground if you don't tell them how to do it. And that is my mini rant with, a you know, public safety message at the heart of it. (laughs) Done and dusted for this week. I was speaking to Sarah in our digital team there the other day and she was telling me just how many of you tune in each week to us on Apple, Google and Spotify podcasts. I'm told that we have listeners all around the globe on both FM, Midlands 103 and indeed podcasts. I should get those stats properly off, Sarah. I will do and bring them to you. But if you are listening to us from abroad, get in contact with me. Let me know where you're based. How did you find us? I'd love to know. You can get in contact with me directly over on Midlands Midlands103.com. Click on the on-air team and you'll see a picture of my face, Ashling O'Rourke. Click on the button, send me an email and I will be sure to let our listeners know how you found us, what you think of the show, what you'd like us to talk about and uh, why you keep listening. It would be absolutely a joy to hear from you. I hope you have a great week. Stay safe and I'll be back with Let's Go Green same time next week. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more.